Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play Team. This actual play uses the Trinity Continuum Rules by Onyx Path Publishing. This actual play is performed by adults and in an adult setting. While we try hard to stick to language for all ages, listeners should know that this podcast may include mature themes and various hijinks. All content, including names, places, events, companies, and etc., which may bear resemblance to entities living or dead, is strictly coincidental. And now, on with the show. Thank you for joining us again on another episode of the Old Ways Podcast, where you are joining us in the Trinity Continuum as we continue with Trinity Age of Wonder. So I am normally your keeper and storyteller, possibly handler, depending on what game we're playing, Mike Diamond. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and pass it off to our uh, storyteller, James. So, James, take it away. Thank you, Mike. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to our exciting finale of the first part of our grand adventure here at the World's Fair. I am excited to be your host, and I'm glad you were all back with me this time. Let's get some introductions underway so we can get to the action. To my proverbial right. Hello, this is Jake. I'll be playing Fillmore J. Pinehurst. Uh, my role path is the technologist. The technologist. Fantastic. So, Buttons, do you have like a, a drawer of various lengths of wire? You probably do have a drawer of various lengths of yeah, yeah, actually, it just and it goes to like fax machines and I, okay, yeah, no, I understand. And to Jake's right, hi, this is Miranda, and I'm playing Florence Fletcher, wealthy business mogul. And the role path that Florence is is the sneak. Well, that can mean a lot of things, right? Very sneaky, you wouldn't even know, right? Next to Miranda, this is Morgan. I play Ellie Thompson, and my role path is American Spy. American spy. <laughs> Not wow. just any kind of spy. An American no, spy. American spy, especially <laughs> 1939. That I think you have to say that probably. You're an American spy. You're like Uncle Sam. Exactly. Finally, sitting in the throne, brooding at the end of the table with a heavy crown upon his brow. Yep. Yeah, hi, this is Mike, and I'm playing Nicholas Marcos. And I am also playing the sneak. <gasps> Too sneak. Yeah. I mean, uh, although my, 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 I'm not a wealthy you know, mogul, like the other snake. I, I work for a shadowy and somewhat cloaked organization. Uh, I, like a, a, some sort of clandestine foundation, you say? Yes. Well, actually, I don't say because, that's, because it's a secret. It is, it is a, shh, we don't talk about that. But maybe before the end of the evening, we'll have to talk about that. I think so. Before we begin the action, I want to remind all of my players that you start with a momentum pool of five. And for those of you following along at home, a momentum pool is what drives, what continues to drive the story forward. The players are more than welcome to utilize momentum points out of the pool for any idea that the players as a group deem acceptable. For each point spent, they can gain an enhancement to the role that they are attempting. Makes the action more actiony, makes the juice juicier. And who doesn't want their juice juice here? My players individually also remember that on your score sheets there, you will have an inspiration score, and that inspiration score will be full as of the beginning of the game. You also begin each game with a full set of inspiration that you can utilize to use the gifts that I have given you on your sheet. We'll see where the action takes us. All right, Mike, 
Nicholas's feet come to a screeching stop on the cool marble of this floor that you just, what, an hour and a half maybe ago, been standing around, bored out of your skull, looking at the pieces of art, almost wondering why you had been there if it weren't for the aforementioned clandestine foundation that pays those bills that you have and continues to give you the money. I do need the greenbacks. Who doesn't need the greenbacks? This time, however, your pulse is a lot faster and you are anything but bored when you arrive at the Masterpieces of Art Hall. Your eyes take just a second to adjust from the outside brightness and flags of flags and brightly dressed people to the relative dimness of this hall. The pieces of art loom before you and almost swim for a moment as you stop your running from all the way across from the Parisphere to here and Mm -hmm. gulp air down like a goldfish that had been flipped out of the bowl as you take in your surroundings. The hall is full of people that are ooing and eyeing and leaning forward to almost touch art that they probably shouldn't be touching because it's 400, 500 years old. The security guards are mostly doing their jobs to not keep people from being the Philistines that they want to be. I guess when I get my bearings... The last thing I really looked here inside this hall was I looked at that gauntlet, that that piece of worked art that had caught my eye. So I'm probably just naturally using it as a point of reference for my search. Mm -hmm. I'm going to start there and then move out about this building. Having arrived at the hall, yes, as you said, you you oriented yourself on the gauntlet that you already had known and that you had you had arrived back at and it is a good orientation point because you you turn with your back to it as you were earlier and the memory of sitting and studying Mahal for the 20-30 minutes longer that you had been all floods back to you okay that room is over Mm -hmm. there I was there earlier they have decent coffee over there but that room is 8 by 5 you know those kind of facts begin to flood back to you and you begin fanning out your search from there Yeah, absolutely. All right. Describe your search method to me. Given Nicholas's cunning, but also his resolve, he is going to do his best to try to sort of step down the the panic and the rush because this accuracy is what's needed here. So he needs to be careful, realizing he he might only get one sort of bite at the apple when it comes to each one of these spaces. And so he's not in a panic, or he is at least trying not to panic as he makes his way through these spaces. And he's going to start obviously looking visually, but one of his senses that he's not going to be remiss about is his ears. Because the last device he saw, there was um, there was obviously some sort of electrical whine to it. And it might be a giveaway hearing a device that's powered up. Or being in a room where something, or maybe some of there's, maybe there's too much hum to a, a certain amount of electric lighting in this room that might be a giveaway. Or, you know, maybe there's a bell or a chime that goes off, that sort of thing. So he's very much paying attention to those senses too. Okay. So you take your moment. You perhaps step to the left of the display behind a pillar. You run through the series of breathing and mental exercises that that funny little old guy taught you though he was hard to understand he did teach you some pretty intense things and he taught you how to calm your mind is one of them 
And you take a moment, you breathe in, and you breathe out. You breathe in, you breathe out, and you can hear the noise of the crowd start to fall away from you to become less obvious. Make me a cunning enigmas roll, I would guess. All right, fair enough. Difficulty eight, I assume. Difficulty eight, as always. And then tens do explode. Tens, yep. Ten again. Any ten you see rolls again. It's, it's the only one I had at first. All right, so I have two. So I have the ten and then an eight re-rolled. You close your eyes and you 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 force the sound of the little kids running and laughing to each other and the parents talking and people singing and the bells that have been now playing orchestrated religious hymnals for the last half an hour. What originally was pretty is now starting to get on your dang nerves. And the sound of that damn dude welding or something. And as you stop, you, you think to yourself, wait a minute, welding? Okay. So if I hear welding going on, then I'm going to move in that direction again, still pacing myself to keep the, the pulse rate where it needs to be, that sort of quiet okay. channeling of, of uh, energy before uh, needing to explode. You manage to retain your resolve as you not exactly push your way through the crowd, but weave your way gently past people. Oops, sorry, ma'am. Excuse me. Pardon me. Not so much invade people's space as you just let them know you're coming and they have a tendency to move out of the way. This is back before everyone was so crowded that they needed to be that close to each other. Eventually, you you pass down two different hallways, each one smaller than the last by just a little. The first one is still grand hallway, maybe 25 feet wide. The second one is no more than 15 feet wide. The last one looks like a almost a maintenance offshoot, maybe that's just 10, 12 feet wide. And the welding sounds like it's coming from back there. Hmm. All right. I'll uh, get a little closer. Is it, It's behind a door then? You do eventually come to uh, looks like a gray metal, hollow metal door. Silver doorknob on the outside. Hmm. All right. I will uh, give a listen to the door directly. Well, first thing you definitely hear is that, that that spattering, sparking sound of welding. You do notice that the light coming out from underneath the door, it's easy to see, is a brilliant blue color. Okay, so I, I don't know how much the character necessarily would know about welding. So I don't know if he would know to protect his eyes. Light. Give me a intelligence technology role. We'll see if you know about that. You may also use science. Uh, I will pick up that extra dive because of science. Science and technology. Oh, that is pretty good. So that two, two. All right, two. You put your hand on the doorknob, and you're a, you, you've literally almost begun to turn it. You feel the tendons in your hand beginning to tighten, and then you think you remember a friend of yours that was working in the shipyards. Uh, he said Uncle Sam had given him a big contract recently, and they were gearing up for a lot of work, but he had been complaining about his eyes because he had just said he, he wasn't going to wear eye protection, and the boss was getting on him but that he he wished he had because now his eyes were all blurry and they hurt all the time. 
Mm, yeah, it sounds like that man needs a union. A little bit. Okay. Fair enough. Then I'm going to prepare as that, you know, those tendons in my wrist tighten to mm-hmm. accelerate the doorknob. I'm going to prepare for it. And basically, once I identify where the light is as I step in, I'm going to make sure that I, you know, look either to three o'clock or six o'clock or somewhere other than directly at it. Right. Giving yourself that arc so that you're not burning your retinas to the core. That's right. Okay. So you twist the knob, not locked. You, as you push the door open, you think to yourself, that's almost, uh, it feels almost a little cocky. <laughs> and the door slams open. There's a gentleman on the other side of this room. He's currently just, it looks like finishing up a really, you don't want to call it sloppy, but unhealthy looking welding job. Mm-hmm. With a blowtorch, a modified looking blowtorch. And he has welded a, a mechanical device onto one of the beams of this building. It looks like the cables have been connected into it. And uh, it's now that he has stopped welding and has turned to look at you, the torch is still burning. It is glowing with its own unhealthy blue light, very similar to the one that's coming out of this blowtorch. Hmm. And I remember the though to the black cables, those cables, are they black and do they look like what we saw at the top of the other building? They very much do, yes. Afternoon. I raise my voice. He turns around and he's wearing the round welding goggles, the black the le- black lenses in them just reflect the light that's bouncing around the room. He has tufts of hair, you would say. He's not wearing a shirt. He's pale and covered in burn scars. He has an ACS burned onto his right pectoral muscle and underneath it, a symbol that you have seen all too often in the newspapers just of recently coming out of Germany. Mm. He clicks a second trigger on the blowtorch and the flame triples in length. His grin widens and he has these small peg teeth as his face is illuminated by the reflection of the blue flame and the sweat on him. And he says, Please, come in. I am almost done and will be with you in a moment. And he advances towards you, his almost comically large work boots clomping on the metal beneath him. Come on down here, my friend. We need to have a chat. All right. Can I see your permit for this work? As he clomps down, I will get back to you in just a second, Mike. Morgan. Yes. This light swirls and dances in front of you as you look down into this food cart. It has this unhealthy glow to it that makes you feel almost queasy on the inside. You look around and the air around the cart, immediately around the cart, is wavering a little, like the heat coming off of the road in a desert. You hear a a wheezing laugh from not too far away. Would it be from the guy that I just dropped with my gun? Yes. He's still alive. I thought he was sizing. Darn. All right. I look over at him. You look over at him? His complexion says dead, but he is still moving and making wheezing sounds. So you're not sure what's happening. He doesn't look like a zombie in as much as his eyes are glowing um, with this unhealthy similarity to that blue light that's coming out of that cart there. I look over at him and... What do you think is so funny? I think he is going to destroy you all. Who's who's, who's he? You see, uh, he 
points kind of up a little and and back like he's pointing towards the majority of the fair maybe or somewhere that way behind you guys like is he pointing towards the Laguna Nations or like he seems to be in that area yeah does this does this guy look like he's gonna get up anytime soon oh no in fact as he his hand drops like a wet dish towel to the ground and he coughs and bubbles up blood that's flecked with other stuff that probably shouldn't be flex. Well, apparently you will not be around to see whoever he is coming. My life for him. Well, you have more belief in one person than I do. And then his his face rolls to the side and the goo in his mouth spills out onto, onto to join the rest of the goo from where you've plugged him once or twice and lands on the ground. Alright, well, enough chit-chat. Um, I grab my... I have a s- scarf in my handbag um, with me, and so I grab that out, and then I am going to reach in and grab whatever the item is inside the, the vendor cart. Okay. You reach in and grab a... Uh, again, it's about the size of a... a it's about a, a foot... Say about a foot long maybe a little longer, cylinder with various mechanical components on the outside. Uh, the side in German says Wunderwaff 37-X and then a very small writing that is looks like it's been hastily written on there. But the Wunderwaff 37-X parentheses C is what's written on there. Uh, and otherwise there's a tank with the glowing blue-white liquid inside of it and it's glowing more and more by the second. Well, I don't I don't know how to take care of this. So you look around frantically like Adam West with a bomb. <laughs> Where I can toss it. Um, so I wrap it in I mean, well, I mean, for obvious reasons, is there any on-off switch on it? You don't see one. As you pull it up out of the cart, you, the wires and cables it was attached to strain for just a moment or two and then snap off. But I'm not directly touching it. No, well, you're touching no. it with a, yeah, with, 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 with a scarf. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> still not going to help if it's we get radiation. But you know, all right, is it gonna is it going to fit in my bag? It's a foot and a half long. You said right. Yeah, it will probably not fit in your bag, and also with the rate with which it seems to be growing steadily warmer and humming. You are not sure it's going to be around to be put in a bag in a moment or two. I am going to run to the lagoon to go toss it in there because I don't. You run to the lagoon. Uh, Well, you are, you do look around and you see, you see the lagoon and you figure you might make it to the lagoon. You see there is the city of tomorrow, which is a small duplicate city near you, near to you. And next to that is the electric farm. Looks like there's a large granary silo. Um, the city of tomorrow has a swimming pool. You might be better off going to one of those places, you figure. But you have that moment of decision. Yeah, so the grain silo, if there's a grain silo, that would probably be better. So you're going to go to the automated grain silo? Yes. Okay, so you, you push past the people into the electric farm. You smell a, an interesting mix of the smell of... of 
uh, motor exhaust, the sound of gears, the smell of animals. It's not unpleasant. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Electric Fob. The creation of many scientists today believe that electricity and automations will be the leading way for us to feed the people of tomorrow. With a population ever-growing, we will rely on these new automated devices to make our world better than it has ever been before. A world of wonders. So you hear that playing in the background pretty much over and over as you're running through this exhibit. Yeah, I'm yelling at people to get out of my way. I mean, I'm supposed to be I'm supposed to be discreet, but you know, the the, the blue glowy thing is then if you're yelling for people to get get on about your way, I need you to make me a presence command roll. Okay. Nobody cares about me because I get no successes. Oh, They're yeah, like, they are not woman. listening to you. You are <laughs> running through a crowd of people in a building holding a piece of technology, surrounded by pieces of technology, going, excuse me, everyone, out of the way, pardon me, excuse me. They're they're not really listening to you at all. In fact, they think of you, since there's no successes on there, they, they feel as though you're being a little pushy. You even hear one guy, you wait your turn, lady, we all paid to be here. Figures. Yep, I'm just trying to shove my way through the crowd. You push your way through three quarters of this crowd, and you finally lose your composure just a little bit and rely on probably just a little more of your military training than you should. And the last couple of guys, including the pear-shaped local that was giving you grief when you were on the other end of the room, he manages to get an unfortunate elbow into the ribs on your way out, which allows you exit. You do, in fact, make it out. The door closes you very, very loud (laughs) Uh, as he is doubled over over the rail. And cut clunk. You are headed through and you get out the back door of the farm exhibit into where the grain silo is. It's a large concrete cylinder made of thick concrete blocks. So you approach that, pass a couple of farmyard pens. These are actual live animals. These are not robot analogs that to be cute. These are actual pigs. You pass a, a small cow and a couple of chickens. And you feel involuntarily your footsteps begin to quicken because this thing that you're holding is now really shaking and starting to smoke a little. Is it like warmed into the touch and everything? Oh, yes. Yes, quite. Oh, um, well, yeah, I'm, I'm hurrying towards that grain silo is. All right. You break into a run and arrive at the door to the grain silo. In just a moment as you press the door open, the grain silo will be automated to be completely hands free as many farmers are injured at grain silos every year. As you push through the door, ignoring the fairly pretentious voice and get to the rail, you see that it's in about 15 feet deeper down to the machinery. And you chuck the device in there? Oh, yes. I'm, I am I might go in past that um, device as far as I can. All right. And do you stay to make sure it explodes healthily not far no. from you? Or Oh, my oh, okay. gosh. I'm running and I'm praying as I'm running to whoever's going to hear me and hopefully none of the animals get hurt because that would be sad. Well, you are running out. You hit the door hard. Um, You're going to have a bruise there later when you have time to think about bruises. And you run by the animals as they're, you know, clucking at you and making their squealy, adorable squealy sounds. There's a hard to describe. It's not really an explosion sound, but more of a from inside the silo. 
and then the sound of metal being torn like paper on the top of the silo. Your eyes are involuntarily drawn up as you see this column of that blue-white light emanate from the top of the silo, go straight up, and then arc towards the center of the fair. Oh, that's that. That's not good. However, what you're more worried about is at ground level, there is a ring of energy that emanates from the bottom where you were. It knocks you down on your butt. You, you even just, even though you see it coming and the force that it hits you with still knocks you onto your keister and you feel not, not confused, but your brain feels scrambled for a moment. Like it's, you're having a hard time thinking. It's not a confusion in that you, you're having a hard time adjusting facts. It's, it's a literally you're having a hard time forming them in the first place. Passes fairly quickly. And when it does, your eyes behold something terrible, which I'll get back to you in a moment. Miranda, the wind is blowing through your hair and swaying this parachute jump tower that you are clinging tenaciously to on the top. Mm-hmm. Back and forth, to and fro. Not a lot, but enough that you can feel it and that the whole horizon sways just a little bit back and forth. Mm-hmm. Inside the tower is a one of these cylinders with the blue and white light and the mechanical parts. This is Wundwoff, Wundwoff on the outside. You look at it and then you look at the person below you mm-hmm. who is now about a quarter of the way up the tower. Yes. He is climbing steadily, his eyes never leaving you. His eyes are locked on you, not necessarily your eyes, but locked on you to see what you're doing. He has tucked his revolver into the hip of his pants for easy access as he is climbing with both hands now. And he is making quick time of it because he is not a physically a slouch. Mm-hmm. There is also a smaller crowd that has gathered below you on the ground. Mm-hmm that seem to be watching what's going on. Now, if I remember correctly, James, last time I disarmed this device, right? I believe you did, yes. Yes, you had disarmed it. And have I it, yanked and it out already? Not yet. Okay, then that that's going to be my next obvious step is to... Okay. Was to reach in and yank it out? Yep. Okay. So you reach in there, fiddle around for a moment, and give it a good yank. And just when you're about to give up in frustration, out it pops. Yeah, I never give up when I'm yanking something. So you pull the device out. It is heavier than you anticipated when you were holding it in your hand. And the liquid that's inside of it, is, as it sloshes back and forth, definitely affects is heavy and dense enough to affect the balance of whatever this is. And as you pull it out and you're holding it with one hand and you're holding the ladder with the other, the person that is climbing up the ladder for the first time since he began climbing as you see him below pauses for a moment yeah I don't really give too much of a fuck about what he's doing unless he's going to shoot me Um, but otherwise I'm coming down and kicking him in the face so you're going to begin climbing down yeah so it's going it's going to need I'm going to need a dex athletics roll because you are now kind of forced to climb with one hand do we have to declare our use of inspiration prior to uh, I believe you can utilize inspiration before or after the roll, depending on what you see, but you do have to tell me either way. Um, well, in that case, I would like to use inspiration 
to save my ass. Um, now, I don't remember correctly, um, but what use of inspiration would help me in this? Can I add? I can add a, an enhancement, right? You could use inspiration would be one way to go. You could ask the table mm-hmm. if they thought it was okay that mm-hmm. you used a momentum point, of which you currently have seven, to utilize it to not fall or possibly be in a situation in which you would fall. Mm-hmm. You could utilize an inspiration in would be an intuitive action or an extraordinary effort. Um, but I would say in this case, it's probably an intuitive action. Okay, I'll... Which, that would be my suggestion, would be an intuitive action, yes. I would suggest you would spend a point of inspiration and it would allow you to gain an enhancement with a rating equal to your intuitive facet for any dice pool related to quick thinking or quick action in this case. Okay, perfect. Then I would have an enhancement of two. So I will gladly do that. Fantastic. But I did roll no successes. All right, well... You have no successes, which means that you, since you were attempting to climb down, you did not succeed in moving. You realize that you are stuck at the top of this tower while you were holding this object as you are. You can either put the object down, Mm -hmm. drop the object, Mm -hmm. put it back, Mm -hmm. but you don't think that you are capable right now at this time of climbing down with it in your hand and remaining safe. Like This has been pretty much disarmed, right? Like, if it fell a distance in someone's head, onto someone's head. Yeah, it would kill somebody pretty easily if it fell onto them directly, break a bone if it hit them indirectly. And you're not 100% certain it wouldn't initiate a reaction if you just dropped it. Oh, no, because I really want to chuck it at the guy's head, uh, but I don't want to kill a ton of people. Sure, a kiloton, you say. Yes, <laughs> it's weird that you would use that term. It's so strange. Is there anything else up here that I could use uh, that I could weaponize? Can I grab just loosen some bolts and pull some pieces off? Okay. Well, as I asked Morgan, first of all, do you have any? Do you happen to have any gifts that you think we, you would be able to utilize to help? I have a captivating personality. Uh, <laughs> wait, hold on. I might. Let's see here. What because we didn't that? cover them a little you, bit. You talked that thing into throw a shoe. Yeah, throw take off a shoe and throw throw your gun. Uh, not really, because um, a lot of these don't uh, wouldn't help me in this uh, situation unless it's roll the dice. In which case, I can get a good bit of luck that would benefit me and achieve a desirable favorable outcome. I can do it once per session. Well, that sounds like a pretty... that the, Using a bit of luck would seem like if you're trapped at the top of an amusement fair ride and there's somebody coming after you with a gun, you would need a bit of luck, right? Yep, yep. So I'll, I'll use my roll the dice. It does say when it's... Uh, yes, when a character is gambling, player playing minor games of chance, or when a bit of luck would benefit the character, you can declare that she achieves the desirable, favorable outcome. I would like to think that whoever assembled this or was last working on it just left a wrench up here, a large, heavy wrench. All right. Clutching this device with your left arm, you cross the fingers that you're not using to desperately hold it to your side. And you hold on to the rungs of the ladder with your elbow as you reach in, desperate. Please, 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 please. And your hand wraps around something metal that is not attached to 
the ride. Mm-hmm. You pull it out and it looks like a large, one of the large torque wrenches, the old fashioned torque wrenches. It basically looks like a spike with a C on the end. It's heavy. When you pull it out of the hole, it weighs you down suddenly on the right side. You have two options at this moment. You can either try to hang on to it and give me a strength roll, or you can try to, you can, I would say, maybe a cunning athletics roll and try to drop it specifically into a place. Yeah, I want to drop it specifically into his head. All right, let's make a cunning athletics roll. Okay. Yeah, that's no successes. Oh, that is no bueno. All right, so with no successes, you drop the wrench and it does fall it clangs twice off of the metal ladder on its way down and might I also remind my players that they can do some dramatic editing to retcon a situation before it has completely resolved itself by spending a point of inspiration a sudden wind picks up okay a and sudden- the, it's, 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 it's hard enough that the people that are parachuting down are startled uh, you okay. hear a couple of gasps <gasps> let out because the wind, it, it it blows just enough to catch this wrench and move it a couple of inches over to... The, with the swaying know, the, of the tower the and the wind out here, this, this the wind that you are never going to look at the same, it manages to, yes, it sways the tower over and, it's, and this gentleman looking up where he was fairly certain that he was not going to get hit with this wrench, looks up and catches it pretty square right in the shoulders he grunts like he has been hit with a wrench it hits his shoulder on the right hand the arm that was closest to you Uh, he had not yet reached up with the other arm and he looks up at you with a a look that starts with a pain and pain and rage but over the course of just a split second turns to shock and then horror as he feels his body shift backwards and out into the open. The people on the parachute ride on either side of him are entreated to an extra show as he plummets backwards past them and lands on the ground below and makes a disgusting halo when he lands hard. You don't think he's going to be coming after you again anytime soon. Is it while everyone is distracted with that, mm-hmm. tending to this man, I will remove myself from this fair ride. Okay. You begin climbing down as quickly as possible. Yep. One-handed. Okay. One-handed. Now that you had time to think and you don't have anyone coming after you with a gun, you take a moment to tuck this into an article of clothing or tie it onto a piece of your dress and you carry it down so it doesn't fall. And then you, mm-hmm. as you approach the bottom, loosen it back out and uh, land on the ground. A couple of people approach you, not completely approach you, like, you know, put hands on you or anything, but they approach you hands out. Hey, are, are you, are you okay, lady? We're not sure we saw you had a gun, but uh, I don't, I don't know what. Uh... I'm fine. You must help that man. He's obviously d- deranged. Oh my God. I think this man is dead. This is an older lady that's poking him with the tip of her umbrella, her sun umbrella. Call the the ambulance. People begin calling for an ambulance. You see a... Shouting. Yeah, calling, literally calling. Um, There is not far away, 
you would say maybe a city block down, you see a gentleman in a dark blue suit further in the amusement area, but he turns and you realize that's not a common suit. That's a police suit and he's coming this way. I want to try to slip into the crowd. All right. All right. Then give me one more roll and that roll is going to be composure survival. In this case, you're you're using survival tactics to keep yourself whole and sound. The three successes. You manage to step backwards into the crowd, losing yourself amongst the crush of people who have become, uh, by the second, more and more are now joining this this crowd of onlookers and gawkers of this man who has apparently fallen off of a ride. And, oh my, was he one of the passengers? I don't know. He had a gun, though. Look, it's right there. Oh my gosh. And you slip backwards into the crowd of rubberneckers and head back into the fair proper, holding this device under your arm, pulling your clothing over it as best as you can so that no one can see it. Yeah. I'm going to take it We'll find the professor because maybe he know he wants this thing to just check it out, see what it's doing. I'm, it's, might as well take it to him. Okay. Yeah, try to find the professor. Are you going to go try to find the professor? Which brings us to the professor mightily. So when we last left our professor, he was at the Westinghouse and he had done some minor mechanical maintenance on Electro the Mechanical Man. Yes, he's much better now. Yes. Uh, In fact, he is twice the robot he was previously. When you, you left the hall, you step outside. And as you step out into the bright day, your eyes, you blink, blink, your eyes adjust. You hear a distant. Mm -hmm. It sounds like a firecracker. And it comes from the northern end of the fair. Your eyes are drawn to the area, and... That's the exact opposite direction I went, right? Yes, exact opposite of direction you went. Okay. It's close to the direction you would end up going to get to the Lagoon of Nations, Mm -hmm. but it's off to the left. If you quickly memorize, you know, having memorized the map as best as you could, you would say probably over by the City of Tomorrow. That's not good. As you watch, a tower over there, or some tower-like object, cylindrical, slightly rounded on the top. It erupts with a a blue-white light that you are now all too familiar with. A gout of the light. And then you see something that makes the science, all of the knowledge of science inside of you crawl a little bit, which is the light in the sky bends towards the center of the fair. It makes an arc. Aha. As you watch that bolt of light arcs directly to to the Trilon, the large metal spire and arcs to the very tip of it. The whole Trilon is lit up just for a split second. If you hadn't been looking directly at it, you might you easily have missed it. And then that shimmer disappears. That can only be dreadful. I hope nobody was hurt. Ah, well. So what are you doing? Onto the lagoon. Going to the lagoon? We still have to stop another one. Sure. You start your professor scurrying. You run past the Hall of Industry, which you had began with, and you look at oh so fondly as the simple days when your day began through Washington Square, past the world of fashion and the medicine, public health, and science education. The number of people here that are yelling various things or wanting to show you stuff is 
dizzying. It's like a carnival. You pass Borden's and a few rest, more than a few restaurants, Heinz. There's a whole food area. You get to the what's called the Four Freedoms Plaza. Before you get to the League of Nations, you can see it up ahead with all of its fountains already burbling and flowing. You see off to the your left, you see people running towards you that looked fairly panicked. Common people, pedestrians, suits, ties, you know, dresses, normal folk, and none of them you recognize. Well, obviously I can't do anything about the explosion. That's come and gone, so I will continue on to the Lagoon of Nations. You get to the Lagoon of Nations. You you run past the, the Four Freedoms and get to the Lagoon of Nations. As you're standing there, you see a Romanian building, a Hungary building, New Zealand, Australia, Iraq, France, Italy. It looks like all right. almost all of Europe and everywhere near Europe has a place. Well, I'll break out my energy detector. Okay. You begin checking the panels, flipping switches, twisting knobs, checking various things. Yes. You have a problem. This area is currently flooded with that energy, that radiation, and so you're having a hard time pinpointing its exact location. You seem to be getting a second smaller one nearby, maybe from the Romania, Portugal, Luxembourg area of the buildings. Okay, well then I will head that direction. Okay. And I will look for the uh, cables, because obviously that you're going to use these cables to direct the energy directly towards the uh, democracy. Right. All right. So first you look through Luxembourg. It's a tiny little, tiny little building. There's not much to it. <laughs> um, next to it is Portugal. You rapidly, you poke your head in, glance around the room. You don't see anything. It's a fairly sparsely populated other than uh, a few cultural items. People seem fairly surprised as you poke your head in, your, your tousled head in. Have any of you seen an explosive device? You get to the Romania building. You push the door open. Inside is, uh, I don't know you say, congregation of people, a small group of people, and many Romanian artifacts of culture and history and significance. Standing amongst them is a gentleman who... It looks like a, a janitor, maybe. He's sweeping up some things over in the corner, and uh, he has a ladder that's leaned up against one of the pillars in the corner. Hmm. That's weird. Why would they have a ladder out during, during business hours? Well, I, I'll, go, I'll go over that direction. Okay, so you head over that direction. As you begin walking towards the ladder, you see the janitor person begin pretty rapidly putting the last of their things into their bin and starting to roll away from you, but also towards one of the exits. Uh, excuse me, sir. Are you attempting to, are you just calling out to him or are you attempting to actually get him to stop to respond to your command? Well, I, I, I'll call out to him first. If he doesn't stop, then I will uh, try to get him to stop. With your first command, he does not stop. In fact, his st he, he half steps quicker and puts his head down a little bit, adjusts his cap so that it's you can't see his eyes. Sir, sir, I think your explosive device is on the fritz. He pauses just for a second, but you see every muscle in his body tense up. He, he quickly scans the room with a, a head on a swivel as almost... I'll, I'll hold up the, dis the disabled one. Okay. See, it's not working correctly. He looks at it, 
his eyes get really wide and then shine with a with, with little little dots of white light and you realize that your right hand that you're holding up is warm oh well that's not good you look up and the one you're holding is glowing glowing and swirling oh I guess it was uh, working just fine as you look at it and you look back he is now redoubling his efforts to escape from the building unfortunate I, I have to leave him because I need the other one so I will go back to where the ladder was okay is there an opening up there or anything? You see a vent at the top. There's like a vent grate. And you do see there's a small amount of light emanating from that vent grate. Excellent. Well, I have to pop up there. No, you know what? I'm not going to pop up there. That's not how I do things. I'm going to uh, use my, my uh, blaster to pull the, the vent grate off. Okay. All right. You uh, adjust your blaster to setting setting five. Setting five. Cost you about ten. So your battery is about now half discharged. Okay. So you lock on, squint one eye, and lock on the tip of the beam to the... You know, I'm not even going to pull the grate off. I'm just going to reach, use it to reach through the grate and pull that thing straight out, because that'll take care of the grate itself. Okay. All right. Give me an aim cunning roll. Okay. That would be two successes. Takes you a moment. You rest the the beam on your on non-firing arm, as you've seen people do in the war movies that are so prevalent recently. You aim, and you manage to pull the device out of the grate and towards you with a startling amount of speed. The device flies towards you. You manage just at the last second, and you weren't sure either because when it hits you, it has that catching a fast baseball in a hand with no no mitt. Mm-hmm. Ah. Do not worry, ladies and gentlemen. I have both of the explosive devices. Slaps into your hand. You have to essentially drop your, your ray yeah. onto its tether, which is not great for its tether, but it's not the first time you've had to do it. You are now holding both devices and you realize why the one that you had previously disarmed that you thought you had disarmed is not disarmed. As it seems as though the presence of the one you have pulled out of the proximity of the presence you've won of the one you pulled out of the vent is activating the one that you were holding. Oh, okay. And it seems like their proximity to one another, you're doing some quick calculations, but it really does feel like they're probably exponentially speeding up the process. Oh, good, 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 good. Let's see. As you're holding these devices, you are thinking to yourself, what's setting on my gun? What's setting on my gun? What do I do? As you feel both of these devices vibrating up your arms and you begin to, what's more alarming is not that they're vibrating. What's really alarming is that you begin to realize that they are forming a unified vibration. Okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to tie these together real quick. I just use some wire and just... Sure. And then I'll use the anti-gravity gun on them. Okay. To make them neutral to air or lighter? Lighter. And I will give it a nice uh, chuck up just to give it a, you know. (laughs) Giving them a heft into the atmosphere and reversing gravity's hold. Yes. So you drop them on the floor. You grab a a, um, piece of one of the display curtains. You grab one of the rope or one of the frayed ropes from it and Rep, 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 tie, tie, tie. 
make them into one bundle, drag it out into the, or not probably not drag it, but lift it and carry it out into the walkway. And there are a lot of people out here. Yes. You probably need to turn your gun up higher to make this sure this goes as fast as possible. Yeah, I will. I will pour everything into it, I guess. Okay, so you turn your gun up all the most all the way to full. You know you're going to reserve yourself a little bit, maybe one shot of something left. Mm-hmm. This is almost everything. And you pull the trigger. It doesn't just gently lift off of the ground as you use, as you mostly use this setting for, but it launches itself into the air with the speed with which something is dropped towards the ground. Just over the next few seconds, it begins to rapidly launch into the air. Soon it is several hundred feet in the air, and that is when it explodes with a ball of blue-white light, which quickly becomes a very twisted comma shape. And that small end, that tail of the comma, if you will, begins twisting towards the tip of the trilon. Now can I use the uh, energy negation? Oh, you absolutely can give it a shot, yeah. Boom, that's what I'm doing. I use the last of my energy. Yep, make me a aim. Uh, I'll use my uh, lightning calculator to uh, head it off. Okay, fantastic. Do you need to spend any inspiration for lightning calculator? Uh, No, I don't think so. So for those of us listening along at home, can you remind us all real quick what Lightning Calculator does? Your character can almost instantaneously perform complex mathematics in his head without a need for calculators or even a pencil or paper. This edge allows your character to rapidly perform tasks that would normally require access to a powerful computer or at least a scientific calculator. Uh, so the system portion of it is, is it provides two enhancement to any role that can be directly assisted by mathematical calculations, uh, such as roles involving gambling, navigation, code breaking, carefully aiming bullets, or attempting to understand complex equation-filled scientific theories. So you get two dice. That would be uh, six successes. With the last bit of energy in the gun, you give it a, a twist, and it lands on the negation ray. You adjust your glasses and fire up the ray, and you pull the trigger. A sunflower burst of energy erupts from the end of the ray, and you immediately feel not a heat like you expected, but a cold, an icy, icy cold, as this beam that erupts from the end of the ray envelops this comma of energy. Most of it. Some of the energy still manages to get to the trilon, you would say maybe 20%. But the rest of it, it looks like it causes it to shift form or evaporate. And the beam... The wide, you would say probably, since it's an arc and it continues to get wider, by the time you lose sight of it, it's several hundred feet wide. Another triumph for science! And after just a split second, you can no longer see the patch of nothing that's now sailing across the universe, getting wider and thinner. Yeah, it's it's fine. I'm sure it's fine. It's fine. It'll be fine. It looks like most of that energy has been negated. That one that exploded off to your side is worrying you. Off to the side of the Lagoon of Nations is worrying you just a little. Yeah, I'm going to probably have to go back to Democracy City. Or actually, I'll stop by wherever that's... That was the city of tomorrow nearby the electric farm. Yes. So you head off that way at a quick run. You're not used to running being a professor. Just moments, honestly, after the... I mean, it's probably about 10 minutes now after the explosion. And you find a crumpled, a crumpled Ellie Thompson laying on the ground outside of the now abandoned exhibit 
You see her form first, but that's not what you hear first. What you hear is horrible, wrenching, squealing, ear-piercing, shrieking sound. A awful mash of high-pitched carnal noises as you, on instinct, approach Ellie, the person who, the only other person at the fair who you know knows is what's going on and therefore is immediately socially in that category of friend. As you help her up, your eyes alight on that being that's nine feet tall, if you can call it tall, that looks like a combination of um, several pigs, a cow, a handful of chickens, thrown into the blender of God and stirred vigorously and poured back out. Is it like a man-bear pig? It is a bit like a man-bear pig, but it's more like um, a cow-pig-duck okay. chicken. Okay. And it doesn't seem malevolent in as much as it seems to be thrashing about in incomprehensible pain as its flesh continues to... It's not blistering. It's literally multiplying in front of your eyes as it makes these bulges that sometimes will turn into a limb of one of the animals or one of the eyes as this undulating farmyard monstrosity begins to consume the fence and stuff by just growing around it. You see it's that the fence line is causing lacerations, but this thing doesn't seem to care. You notice that its movements are also becoming faster and more twitchy, almost like it's swelling. Egads. Well, I'm probably still recovering from um, getting knocked out. So I'm, you know. Oh, yes. You have just come to. Yep. I shake my head in disbelief and like wipe my eyes. Do you, are, are you seeing the same thing that I'm seeing? I don't know. Are you seeing some kind of a bizarre amalgamation of uh, various barnyard animals? Yes. Then yes, yes, I am seeing the same thing. Okay, good. I thought I was hallucinating for a moment. Do you have something that can kill that? Because I don't think my revolver is going to do it, or my pistol. Well, unfortunately, I've used up my battery, but I have an idea. As you're watching, it it swells by, you would say, maybe 10% mass. Well, I must hurry. Okay, um, I'm going to jerry-rig, pulling the battery out of the energy uh, uh, detector and seeing if I can't provide a bit of charge to my blaster. You're going to disable the energy detector in order to give your your ray gun a last bit of juice? Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, uh, keep it busy. Oh, hey. I, I start yelling at it. Hey, hey, thing over here. I bet I run the opposite way from the from the professor. Okay, good call. I go, sweet, pick, 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 come on. You do have uh, Mr. Fix-It, I believe. Yes. Which allows you on repair and reverse engineering rolls, which you could recall this a repair roll. Your character may add a second skills dots as an enhancement to his dice pool as long as this skill is the one used to operate this device. So, if you have any dots in aim, you may utilize those. This would be a reflective action, so you could use an inspiration point to give yourself an enhancement, uh, a one-point enhancement, I do believe. I will do that. All right. So you have at least one success. So you may roll the repair as you would like. Okay, that'll be three successes total. All right, with a bit of heartfelt sadness, 
you crack the handmade case for your your device that you literally brought to the World's Fair to show the world how amazing it was and thereby what a fantastic freaking brain you have. But no, fate has to go and take it from you. They'll just give me an opportunity to rebuild it better. That's true. You've already thought of like at least three ways. For example, this case was far too easy to crack open. You break it open and fish out the battery. Thankfully, Rockwell Investments bought these batteries, not in bulk, but they bought a large allotment of them. So they're all pretty interchangeable. Takes you just a few moments to put the new battery into the ray gun. You'll get one good shot out of it, though, as it's a different conversion rate. Right. Yeah. Um, I believe there is a setting for separating items or actually like separating things that have been. uh... Oh, I do believe there is. Yes, because I've had to use that before. Either way, it's split. While the professor is frantically working with his ray gun, how are you distracting this uh, cow pig chicken duck? Did you not hear my fantastic suey? Is it Fenston back there? Yes, it is basically a series of pens. Oh, I would like to utilize, if possible, my always have an exit skill just All so right. I don't get caught up in. I don't know, swallowed by whatever this beast is. So you keep keeping an eye on the nearby door, the nearby, the two or three exits. You are kind of outside circling. It's training several of its eyes on you. Okay. Um, well, that's, that, that's great. Yeah, so I'm going to, if I need to get out of the way or anything, quickly, if there's a, a metal pail around, which I'm assuming there is, as there's pens. I, I grab it and I start banging on it because I don't I don't want them to try to look back at the professor and while he's doing his thing, I'm sure he's being noisy as well if he's looking to fix up his sciencey stuff, whatever he's doing. So you grab a pail and start bang, 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 bang. As you're banging on this metal pail, you look up in time, both the professor and you look up in time to hear or look up because you hear. Oh my god, what the hell is that? And then the click of a, of a handgun. You look up and see one of the park security guards has pulled out his revolver and is shakingly pointing it at this barnyard abomination. I yell over, sir, sir, you, you, you need to just leave the area. We are professionals and we will handle this. His eyes alight on you as you bark this series of governmental commands at him. He kind of, not mumbles, but his, in a much lower tone voice, he says, but what But what the hell is it? And his eyes reluctantly are drawn back up to the thing, which as you watch, a shadow falls over the security guard as a large, meaty, comprised tendril of sheep and pig parts slam down on the security guard with a muffled crunch. You're not sure what the crunch comes from, or the guard or the tentacle. No, oh. I, I wince as it like lands yeah, down. And his I'm like, legs oh. twitch for oh. a moment or two and then stop as this meaty appendage begins dragging him back towards the, the, the center mass. Professor, you finally finish fitting the battery in and stand up, trying your damnedest not to look at the remains of that guard that are 
being pulled into this center goo like spaghetti. What you doing? Wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to disintegrate this thing. Okay. Your death will not be in vain, good Samaritan. All right, you pull the trigger and the ray makes a different whap sound than you're used to. There's probably something having to do with the conversion energy. And the monstrosity caves in like it just <laughs> deflates as, but not with air, but with just liquid goo. And as it begins to, it seems to pick up speed and force. And what starts as leaks ends with a sudden and it just coats the walls. You are probably now both vegetarians for at least a year. Am I close enough to this whatever to get splattered in its leftovers? You're not splattered so much as you open your eyes. You thankfully had them closed because you you just instinctively you knew something was going to happen. You open your eyes and wipe the goo off of the front of you and turn and look behind you. And the wall behind you has one clean space and it's perfectly Ellie shaped. Yeah, I, I wipe it off my face and like slop it onto the ground off my hand and look over at the profe- professor. Hey, thanks for that. It's what I needed today. You are very welcome. The professor steps over a chunk of still moving cow pork. Um, should we go find the others? Yes. Florence, you you had passed through the lagoon mm-hmm. and found that there was a people running and yelling something about a monster mm-hmm. away from the farmyard area and a a terrified passerby had pointed a shaky finger. It's off of that way, lady. It's your dime. And he goes running off away from it. Yeah. Well, I'm all about getting my dime's worth. We're heading towards it, I assume. Mm-hmm. You get to the entrance of the exhibit in time to hear this meaty, disgusting explosion sound and a, you would say, probably a 55-gallon drum's worth of viscera is thrown through the door and lands on the carpet in front of you with force. It doesn't land on you, but that's like two people's worth of goo right there. Well, I look around uh, for my uh, recent acquaintances to make sure it's not their goo if it's two persons worth. Oh, no, because a moment or two later, a very sticky pair of your compatriots walk out. Um, the other young lady, Ellie, and your, to your delight, the professor, who is, to your dismay, holding pieces of the device he was supposed to exhibit here at the fair. Uh, Professor, I was looking for you. I I have this for you. Now present him with the bomb. Oh, excellent. I had to murder a man to get it, but I'm sure that that'll be fine. Science does take uh, sacrifices. As you guys are talking, are you heading back towards the lagoon, I assume? Yeah. Mike, you are being menaced by a man with maniacal, mechanical means. And he once again advances towards you sprays fire at you out of this blowtorch device with this blue glowing liquid powering it. You can feel the heat in here. You've been near ovens. You've been near boilers. The age. This heat doesn't feel like any of those. You notice he has some really unhealthy looking sores, maybe? 
on the arm that he's using the blowtorch with. Hmm. Well, I think you ought to get that checked, partner. So I'm going to let him, I'm going to draw him closer, which might sound a little crazy. It's easy enough to do. He's advancing on you. It looks like he wants to, he's giggling things in, in what you assume is German. Mm-hmm. It's muttered. You you spoke a little German and you hear the words, burn you for him. You will burn, cleanse the world with fire. Well, well, that's um, very uh, particular, isn't it then? A little bit. Cleanse the world with fire. That does not sound at all helpful or nice or um, yeah I don't I don't particularly like that part of the training that I under underwent included some um, discussion of forces beyond uh, our well normal man's means who might want to do uh, do ill towards the world and so my plan is to essentially put this guy down as quickly as possible absolutely <clears throat> belying my normal size which is because Nicholas is a very average size looking man he's not he doesn't at all appear strong in any way shape or form um, so essentially what I'm going to do is I'm going to get real close to him and I'm going to use forceful, mar- forceful martial, ar- martial arts and I'm going to try to basically knock him out okay I'm uh, going to attempt to one punch him excellent I do so I gain a complication for it but right. basically once I gain a complication for it I uh, I'm going to use the deadly strike version of it okay and um, I'm going to use my always prepared edge to basically dip my hand in my suit pocket mm-hmm. and pull out a pair of brass knuckles. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to hit him in the face. I'm going to aim basically for the right side of his body, right below his lung. Mm. And I'm going to essentially try to hit him as hard as I can in the liver. Okay. So you're going for an organ shot, a body shot. That's correct. Okay. And I'm going to pick up that complication, but I'm also going to be able to add the brutal tag. Yes. To it instead of um, any any sort of piercing or uh, tag like that. And so uh, I would roll. I think what, because I'm trying to catch him a little bit off guard, I'd like Mm -hmm. to use cunning close combat instead of dexterity. Yes, I would say cunning close combat. So that's five successes. All right. He had one single, one solo success on his advancement towards you. So as, yes. I should net three based on the complication that I Yes. The complication that you receive is as you turn, since he did score one success, he was not entirely unsuccessful. It's just that you were more successful in the situation. At the last moment, his eyes go from that mischievous, almost devil-like grin that he has to a moment of uncertainty as he sees where you're going. You don't telegraph it, but it looks like he's been in enough fights to see where you're going for and he turns the end of the blowtorch towards you. He doesn't get you with the flame, but he does manage to get you with the hot cylinder end on the forearm, on your left, your off arm. And he does one health level of damage to you. Okay, it's fine. That's a bruised. Uh, and so for damage, then with my r- remaining uh, successes, I'm going to purchase the brutal critical. Okay. So it's going to do. It's going to do extra damage. The critical stunt yes. that I am that I am going to be utilizing though is going to cost me three successes. Oh, fantastic! Okay, so yeah, that's basically what I'm going for. Is um, it's going to the the brutal tag is uh, basically allows it to to inflict massive trauma on the target. Okay, so you're doing an intentional huge amount of damage to this guy as much as you can with these brass knuckles that were given to you by your commanding officer, the man who taught you hand-to-hand combat, uh, a real hard-as-nails guy. 
That's right. His rules are keeping you safe. You drive, even though you, even as you smell your flesh sizzle from the barrel of this, as you block the blowtorch with your left forearm, you know you're going to have that mark probably forever. You drive those brass knuckles into his lower soft ribs on his other side, and you drive them all the way home. You, you remember your instructor saying, you're going to hit somebody, you hit him with everything you got. He doubles over, his eyes go real wide, but the pupils go real small as uh, you feel bones and organs squish around these brass knuckles and your hand as they go deep into the meat. He lands on the ground and his blowtorch goes skittering off to the side. Unfortunately, in the skittering, it looks like it is being activated or it's Maybe he was holding something that kept it from not going critical. Hmm. So you have, you figure, maybe one action to either attempt to jump on it and desperately try to disarm it as best as possible. And that would be a very desperate and very difficult. You would be at a very high difficulty for that. Or to get out of this room. Yeah, I... I think I'm, I'm of the mind that I've got to try to go for broke here and I've got to get this thing disarmed. I've got to get figure out a way to keep this thing from going off. I'm not the sort of person who's going to just run. That's not my, uh, that's not my way. Okay. Are you, you, uh, you go to turn towards it and you take two steps and then you lurch forward. Give me real quick Dex athletics roll. You other three, as he's doing that, you reach the lagoon and begin fanning out, doing everything in your power to find something out of the ordinary, something different. That's three for me. With three successes, you do not fall flat on your face, but you do tumble to the floor. Um, You're not prone or anything, but you sprawl forward as you look back, and this blowtorch man is holding your right foot by the ankle. Son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I look back and say... Send this to the fear for me, and I'm going to kick him in the face. Oh, fantastic. With a wet thud, his nose crumples to one side and his eyes roll back into their skull. Definitely unconsciousness. He tumbles off to the side and his, his grip around your ankle loosens enough for you to pull your ankle free. Your hand lands on the device and you have one chance with no rerolls in order to disarm this device. So anything you're going to spend, you have to spend before the roll. I have I have demolitions training as an edge. Yes, you do. So that hopefully will, will help a little bit. I looked it up, right? Um, I don't have rapid mm-hmm. disarm, unfortunately. That's level three. But but uh, let's see here. Can I get it as um, a cunning science roll or an intellect science? Role? I would say a cunning science roll would be would be what you would need for this. Yes. Intellect, if you had time to study it, you may spend an inspiration, uh, a an intuitive inspiration for this, as this is a very intuitive seat of the pants, cut the wire you think is right kind of moment. But you would have to spend it beforehand. I get, I get the number of dice equal to that inspiration. Yes. Yes, exactly. Let's not die. Hmm. Um, four currently with one ad roll. Yeah, just four. Okay. You grab the device, crank the top open. Some of the liquid 
slops onto this crude circuitry in here is at least the crude mechanical parts sorry the the wiring is actually fairly complex as you begin rapidly fishing through it your hands becoming slippery with a mixture of this fluid and the sweat you find three wires that has to be has to be one of these three you close your eyes subconsciously kiss the little medallion that they gave you uh, when you first joined your foundation and then you pull the one on the right and you breathe out and then you don't die gee willikers that's a great feeling you look down and the glowing has subsided significantly Uh, is this thing detachable or is it just best left Oh, yeah. Is this a detachable? Like, it's like carrying a large modified blowtorch. Like, take a, a, a butane blowtorch, but add the something the size of a thermos to it that's powering it. So I'm taking it out of here, then, if it's disarmed. Because I don't want uh, anybody stumbling in here and deciding to reactivate it. Okay. So you you take it with you. And you stumble out into mm-hmm. the daylight. Yeah, and then uh, if, if all things are according to plan, then I'm heading to the Laguna Nations. All right. You, you adjust your tie. Tuck the device into your coat as best as you can and head off towards the Lagoon of Nations. After a few minutes walk for some of you and a slightly heftier walk for a few of you, few others of you, you all arrive just past the Four Freedoms Plaza at the large, splashy Lagoon of Nations. When you arrive, Nicholas, they are gathered huddled around something. It looks like most likely Florence and Ellie are blocking people from seeing something the professor is doing on a park bench. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, I head over to them. Sort of push my way through. Um, I'll probably say stuff like, excuse me, the sorry, yeah, make a way here. I got to move something through here, folks. Ladies, you both hear him say this as he approaches. He's carrying a large metal device. Uh, Ellie, you've, you've seen this before many a time back um, where you grew up. And Florence, your dad used to use one of these at work. These are fairly common. Um, looks like a blowtorch. No, what's not common is the large device that's attached to it. Although you have both now seen one of these. I step aside to make room for Nicholas in between us. Okay. Professor, as you're working to get this thing to stop producing energy, you think you have it on a power down cycle. And then it starts to power up rapidly. Ah, ah, you need to get away. Get away. Get away. Take that away. Take that away. <laughs> I uh, step back, obviously. Okay. You also notice that the the one in your hand was is starting to wiggle and smoke. Like uh, the blowtorches. They have a connection to each other. <laughs> I keep backing up. You see little wisps of energy are leaking out of the end of the blowtorch and... It's almost as if there's a breeze that's blowing them off to the south. Although there is no breeze right now. The air is sticky, still, and dry. Is there something else here that it's attracted to? Yeah, it's, uh, it's probably going towards the Democracy City where that uh, battery or whatever that was, the trans, uh, transformer. Makes sense. Uh, can I um, can I find a place to stow this like in the lagoon itself? <laughs> Just put it underwater for the minute? Oh, yeah. The lagoon is about three feet deep, and you can, if you want to drop it in the water, you totally can. Um, There's some popping and sizzling as you drop it into the water. You instinctively, like, jerk your hand back once or twice, and then it settles to the bottom. 
don't, you're glad that the lagoon doesn't have any fish in it. The canister itself is still glowing, but it seems like the water is helping shield whatever is coming off of it. I keep an eye on it and then turn back to the professor and sort of put my arms up, shrug. I'm working on it. <laughs> As you turn back towards the professor and shrug, Florence, Nicholas, and Elliot, you three can make a cunning culture roll. Or something that, that stands out like a nope. sore damn thumb. <laughs> Not a one, sir. Nope. I'm a little busy. Now that is one success. I get two. Okay, that's perfect. Because, so Ellie, you look up to the far end of the north end, but there's some, there stands a man that now you have seen twice, you realize. And his familiarity is becoming... Something of a pain. You saw him earlier today, a man in a trench coat that seemed to kick all this off. Did you say he's at the U.S. government? Did you say the U.S. government building? Yep, he's closer to the U.S. government building. I point towards um, north from where Mm. we are. Yep. That guy right there, that guy knows something. And I start running that way. All right. And Ellie takes off on foot. Nicholas, you see, you look up in time to hear her say that. And she books and starts running towards, uh, as you look up, a guy with a slightly yellowish skin tone that doesn't seem to be running away or moving. It's almost like he's not welcoming Ellie's advance, but he's not afraid of it. That's the guy. I sort of uh, dawn on her already realized notion and, and set off after her. I walk briskly behind them. All right. You walk briskly behind them. Professor, you look up. Okay. You speed walk. You want, you do want to get there, right? You do want to get there in one episode. Professor, you look up from your work and time to see that they are, all three of them are either running or quickly walk, forcefully walking north away from you towards a large building on the other end of this plaza. (laughs) So about halfway down the court of peace, as you frantically work, Professor, you see them meet this person. The three of you arrive, well, the two of you arrive relatively the same time, and then the third person arrives just moments later. As this gentleman is standing, hands in trench coat pockets, hat, nowhere to be seen, bald head, shining, yellowed in the sun. It is far too hot out for him to be wearing a trench coat and not be covered in sweat, but he's not. He's just standing there staring at you with his wizened eyes. He seems to be about 50-ish. You've never seen a man who had such loathing, just general loathing, not not for you, but for everything his eyes light on as you have on the in the look coming out of this man's eyes as you approach. He regards the three of you with disdain. I run up to him and, like, stop. Not in his personal space. How far away? Probably about four feet. About four feet away? Yeah. Okay. So, arms reach? Well, my arms are not four feet long. I know, like... <laughs> no, his arms might be four feet long, but I say in arms reach as in, like, would he... Would you be available for him to grab if he leaned forward without unplanting his feet? No. <laughs> He regards the three of you. I run up to this gentleman, um, 
not within arm's length. <laughs> I'm covered in goo from the man bear pig. Mm-hmm. And yep. I like so I probably look like a crazy person. Who are you? Who are you? I'm about ready to pull out my little my little pistol. I my name is Dr. Otto von Phosphor. And I am here to make this country recognize its filth and the world recognize mine genius. He casts off his trench coat. It falls to the ground and he's wearing a backpack comprised of two very large blue tanks that are strapped to him and the tanks are swirling blue and white light. He has various wires, crude wires that are uh, all culminating on a metallic hub right over his heart. Oh, that's totally normal, I say. Normal? What is normal? Hmm? With the with the people you work for, what is normal? I've seen a ton of normal, buddy. You ain't it. Soon enough, I will be normal. He takes off his gloves, the leather gloves, and his hands have a crude metallic frame built around them and anchored into the flesh with bolts. There are wires that go into each joint area and he flexes his hands. The tanks glow and his hands begin to glow. 80% of the energy stays around his hands. You would say about 20% of it drifts off to the south. Enough that you can see it. It looks like it's smoke rolling off of it but it's all in one relative column and all heading to the same area. Okay, uh, so Nicholas is probably just a little stunned. Oh, absolutely. This is a moment. This is this takes you up back. Sets you on your heels as it were. Indeed. All right, so I, I I'm going to I'm going to spread out like cuz it, it seems like he's um we'll just say hankering for a, a a bit of fisticuffs and that's not my gig, but um it's really important. Um, it's really important that um, we find a way to, to give the professor time. All right. Professor, speaking of, as you three fan out, I assume you follow Nicholas's lead and begin fanning out to the left and right. Yep. Florence, do you stay in the middle as you're not particularly combat trained? Yeah. And are probably last to get the memo? I'm... Uh, I'm not combat trained, but I am socially trained, and I know how to attack a person. (laughs) Oh, that's very true. That's very true. (laughs) You three fan out and begin to circle him. He he raises his hands and motions as if he was welcoming you towards him, Nicholas. Professor, this you look up and this blue white cloud of energy is going overhead it's making the calculations you're having to do for this bomb to disarm this bomb properly really difficult because it keeps changing the energy output and fluctuation then you look up and you see why oh of course you see down the field you need to stop that you think you have it stabilized at this moment as stable as it can be. This is extremely unpredictable, and the whole energy, the output that it's that it's producing is, you have honestly no idea what it's running on or what this energy is. It constantly is in a state of bizarre flux. I, I really think I need to get to that transformer and disable <laughs> it. 
Because that seems to be uh, what the issue is, is collecting all the inf- the energy. If I can get to, to expel it up, maybe. So are you <laughs> heading towards the transformer? Yeah, I'm going to take the uh, explosive with me. All right. Because I don't want to go it off here. All right. And you begin, I am assuming, just out and out running your way down there. Yeah. Begin breakneck running towards, it will take you just a little while to get to the perisphere. So the three of you fan out around Dr. Vosva. He claps his hands towards you, Nicholas, and the air ripples like air above hot asphalt. And the foliage near him withers visibly. And some of it instantly grows back, but is moving and pulsating. And none of it is the right color. He looks at you and he says, you see, I have the power of life and death in my hand. I can do what I wish. He mumbles more, a few more things in German about you assume being a deity or perhaps being smarter than everyone else. His flesh is rippling around these cables that are obviously pumping this energy either through him or directly around him. All right. So Nicholas is not a brawn fighter. He is a cunning and, and sort of speed fighter. And there's one thing about him that is true, and that is he's always prepared. And so what I'd like to do with that is I would like to spend an inspiration okay, and acquire an item I did not have previously. Sure. And that would be a, a sturdy combat knife. Okay. Because I think Nick Nicholas's thought is if he can jam something in, to one of those lines and disrupt physically disrupt the energy going to him maybe he can set Dr. Von Mustache here into overload <laughs> okay so we will use one of the fantastic abilities of the storyteller system which is you can utilize dramatic editing and what you're going to do is use a point for what's called a retcon and a retcon will allow you to in this case I'm going to paint the picture as as you were leaving your fight against the man with the blowtorch just as you were about to walk out you noticed that there was a toolbox and next to the toolbox was a fairly large combat knife that obviously was owned by um, Captain Sparky Face. You decided, you know, this blowtorch is good, but if it decides to go off, explode or whatever, I will be unarmed again. So maybe I should. And you grabbed it just in case. And boy, past you was awesome because right now you is really, really loving him. Fantastic. That's my plan. My plan is to wait until I can get him to lean one way or the other. And then I kind of want to see if I can climb on his back like a monkey. Okay. So if you attempted to just leap on his back like a monkey right now, he would obviously, it would be a much more difficult task if you could perhaps have him distracted. You could probably do a cunning athletics roll to leap on him. I'm going to um, hope that there is a, we'll just say a deft orator around. Perhaps someone who could gather his attention. Good sir. Are you... Are you looking in for investors in this project that you have? I, uh, you may know not know this about me, but I, I am, I am wealthy. I, I work for Rockwell Investments. I'm a wealthy business mogul, and I'm here at the World's Fair looking for investments to be made and, and people that uh, that I think have a bright, bright future. 
How much would it? How much would it cost, sir? How much would it cost? He he stumbles for just a moment as you make me a manipulation persuasion roll to try to get his attention and to keep it. Oh, some of my favorite things to do. Three, four, five. I'm going to use my good dice and my bad dice because that's how many dice I'm going to roll. Ellie, while you're doing that, I'm going to need you to roll an intelligence close combat roll, please. An intelligence close combat? Yep. One success. All right. So you have one success. He meets your gaze, scoffs at you. This ridiculous. You cannot afford what it takes me to build even one of my genius devices. I am, I am the Michelangelo of electricity. Edison is a simpleton. Einstein, traitor. I am the future. Ellie, what did you get? What did I get? I got two successes. All right, two successes. So. You, with your cunning close combat, intelligence close combat, um, you pretty quickly realize what Nicholas is planning to do. You can see him maneuvering, and this is this is pretty not exactly basic, but this is pretty smart combat tactics. He's he wants you to to distract this mechanical blowhard in order to get behind him. He knows that the guy cannot cover all three of you at once. Right. Nicholas is your objective to stab the, the knife in the back of him. I mean, that's what I, that seems to be what you're doing, looking to do. Okay. He seems like he's gearing up for an attack from the rear. As you do. All right. So I am going to kind of try to, you know, I, I know that Florence is trying to hit him up with a contract to be part of the investment firm. Just great. Um, and so I just kind of start like trying to grab at his wires. So now I am going to be within arm's reach <laughs> to kind of distract him and not pay attention to Nicholas behind him. Okay. Lawrence, you see that Ellie is moving up towards him, not running up, but she seems to be almost, are you, are you doing it in an attacking manner? Or are you doing it in like a quizzical manner? Like you're trying to see how his mechanics work, Ellie. Oh, I think faking some curiosity would is is a better move than bobbing and weaving my way up there. Okay. All right, then I, I'm going to need one. All right, you know what? Honestly, I won't even make you roll for it. You swallow your swallow your, the 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 ball of bile at even approaching this yellow bastard. You think you're welcome, Frank Miller, and you approach him and start plucking at the wires a little bit you know, almost in a curious way. And he, he bats you away. He, he tries to bat you away like a, a bear bats away at bees. As Florence is, you're approaching him. What are you saying, Florence? Uh, well, this we that you talk about, perhaps there's someone else that I could speak to about investing. I mean, you, you're just one man. You're probably just a very small, tiny cog in a very larger, grander machine. Very small, very <laughs> tiny. <laughs> I am not not small. I am. I represent an. Um, I represent a little teeny tiny man. All come to know very soon. A very powerful man who will change the world. Nicholas, you don't feel as though there's going to be a better time. Oh yeah, I bounce. Where's this powerful man? 
in some motherland. As he says, motherland, you leap. Yep. And make me an attack roll, sir. That's going to be probably a strength athletics, I would assume. Or a close combat, rather. Sorry, combat. I would I would like to um, barter for dexterity rather than might, if you uh, would be willing. I would allow it if you're going for more of a, you seem to be going for more of an entangling rather than a, I will break you. Yeah, I'm definitely not trying to physically overpower him. What I'm trying to do is basically <clears throat> cut at anything that seems to transfer power from his tanks to his arms. Okay. Uh, I will allow it to be switched from dexterity to, from might to dexterity, but I will, I'm going to impose at least one small complication on you. Okay. So you need one more success than you did before. That is three. You leap on him with a sense of selflessness that is rarely seen. You see you two, Florence and Ellie, see him leap on this guy and begin grabbing handfuls of wires and yanking at them and then cutting them with this knife. Very quickly, the man's hands stop glowing and you ladies see his eyes grow very wide as he starts sputtering and grabbing at the wires and cables and starts trying to frantically trying to splice and plug them back oh, in. Oh, you're going to have to take this to a shop, buddy. There's all sorts of problems back here. He, he stumbles backwards up the court of peace. And as the packs on his back begin to illuminate, highly illuminate the cables that are still attached and his various connections begin to smoke... He looks up at you, and his eyes are now glowing that same, that with that same light, like intensely glowing, like torchlight glowing. Mm-hmm. And he opens his mouth, perhaps to say something, but you can't be sure, as all of the energy courses through him at once, leaps into the sky, and seems to take whatever essence was inside of him with it. And he drops like a wet towel to the ground. His energy was the only thing supporting him. Yeah, I definitely roll away from that. I don't want to be anywhere near the energy release. Nope. As you as you roll away, and you ladies are knocked on your high knees. Um, actually, Ellie, you notice, you, you see it coming and instinctively brace yourself from what's about, you know, now is about to happen. As there is another one of those bursts. Yeah, but I, I, I tuck and roll. Like You tuck and roll. Do you, roll. you are close enough. Do you take Florence down with you? Um, I I do um, because yeah. because tuck and Florence would not tuck and roll on her own. <laughs> no, a lady does uh, not tuck and roll. Ellie tackles Florence to the ground as the energy bursts, and seconds later the air clears. The ground around where this man was previously standing is now twitching and writhing. The grass here is slowing even as you see it, but it's growing into unnatural shapes, some of them meaty, some of them covered in spikes that seem to be trying to eat some of the others. The rest of the energy that comes out arcs across the sky and towards the Trilon. Professor. Yeah. You get to the Trilon. You see that the Trilon itself, the the spire, is not glowing. Mm -hmm. However, the perisphere is. People have vacated the area and the security doesn't know what to do, so they're keeping people at a, at a, at a wide distance. Well, I'm going to have to get through there. I, I'll just, I'll just, out of the way, I'm a scientist. I can handle this. They move, because right now, 
Even the security guards are like, I have no fucking clue what this is. And the people who work for the fair are have made it, unfortunately, very clear to the populace that this is not something that's happening because of the fair. You hear reporters reporting via radio. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. There's some sort of strange glowing going on around the perisphere. Authorities are unsure whether or not it's a dangerous glow or something that is perhaps just some sort of effect that is done for the opening evening events and is being tested currently. More as it develops, you run past these reporters and into the sphere. You hear a couple of the police yell at you, but none of them seem very particularly eager to run up and catch you. (laughs) Okay, I need to get up in that transformer. There's got to be a way to climb up. There are some ladder rungs. You're going to have to climb up the side of the sphere and then basically climb upside down for the rest. Okay. Wow. Yep. I'm going to need a might athletics roll. Reminding you that there are quite a few, there are a couple of ways, including momentum that none of one has spent, that you would have to ask your teammates if you could spend some momentum for enhancements for a physical roll. Blow the whole load right now. Oh, well, I mean, okay. I will spend half of it. You can spend up to four. Okay, I will spend four because I need them. All right. You you spit on your hands and eyeball this ladder, and it's not too much bad. It's not too different from the jungle gym that you played with as a kid, just several hundred feet in the air and, ooh, you know, no support. So, mm-hmm. so you begin climbing, and you climb and climb until your arms ache, and then you realize you're like 15 feet off the ground, and you keep... Yeah, you'd, oh, son of a... And you, this would be so much easier if my freaking ray gun worked. And you climb, and you climb, and you finally, what after feels like an epic, epic climb that, that only the gods of Olympus would, would bestow upon somebody as a task, you find yourself hanging with just your arms near the center hub, near that box. All right, well, I got to get on that box. Right now, it takes you a while to finagle yourself to up onto the rafters of that box. By this time, the three of you, you go back, I assume, to where the professor was. Oh, yeah. Okay. He is gone. The explosive device that he was working on is on the bench and has singed a black spot around it on the wood. Is the smoke or the trail of smoke coming from out of the water that where I left that piece in the lagoon. Yes. Is it still trailing south? Yes. Then I keep heading south. Okay. Yes, you go right past the two. You see Nick pause for a moment and look at the two devices. Um, I imagine probably you're walking neck and neck here. So he pauses just briefly and the three of you keep going, I assume? I'm going to keep going. I'm I'm not running, but I'm um, vigorously walking. So you power walk your way. You, You match... Uh, Florence's power walk, and between the two of you... Well, that might might be a tall order. Going against the flow of panicked people pretty easily arrives you at the Perisphere. You obviously knew where you were most likely headed. The only other piece of equipment you knew about. Police are surrounding this in a ring with people gawking and gasping and staring at this sphere not a hundred yards away. The three of you know as you walk up that being that close is not going to do any of them any good. Or being that far away is not going to do any of them any good. If this thing, if something happens and this thing does explode with the proportionate size of the bombs you've seen. 
Okay. Yeah, better uh, hustle over to uh, the boys in blue and tell them that uh, the trouble that, that's uh, going on inside the Perisphere is, uh, well, you got to get these people back. Way back. All right. He tips his cat. You, you approach a, uh, a cop. He's about six foot three, heavy set. Tips his cat back on his head. Uh, what's that? What says you see, Mac? What's going on here? Listen, there's uh, there's some trouble there at the top of the tower. You got to get these people back, way back. Well, this is past Washington Square. Well, what are you, uh, you, you some kind of G-man? I uh, tuck into my jacket really quick with my hand, and I pull out what looks like a badge and say, "No, Lane Foundation." All right. Well, I mean, that's they got a whole lot of foundations around the government nowadays. So, uh, you know what? I don't know what's going on here. I'm going to defer to safety. So he turns, all right, everybody, you heard the guy, back up, everybody, back up, come on. And he starts swinging, not swinging, but swinging his arms back and forth, almost like he's ushering geese or ducks. And people begin moving back fairly quickly when they start hearing the word bomb thrown around. They they back off quite a bit. What are, as he's doing this, what are the three of you now doing? I'm looking for the professor. Like, do it. Do I see him? Do we, do we see him? Yeah. Oh. As you... Uh, approach the perisphere, you hear a loud clank sound from inside, the sound of maybe a, a wrench or something being dropped from a very high height, bouncing off of something and landing on maybe a catwalk. Chances are this is probably going to be a multi-person job, so I'll head in, assuming he's inside. You get inside. Professor, as you're up on this rafter next to this briefcase-sized device, you see that Way down below on one of the catwalks, their three figures have walked in that are all walking with a good bit of familiarity. Stop messing around down there and get up here. We need to, I need help. You hear him distantly say. Can you make us uh, float up there again or? No, I'm, I'm out of energy. Well, I'm tired too, but. You have to climb. Okay. Yeah. I'll, uh, once the police have got people moving, then I'm uh, going to head up and Floor. I'm okay, it. James, I'm going to tell you what I'm doing. All right. Because this has gathered quite a bit of energy. I know it has to be dissipated somewhere. So I'm going to make a colossal sacrifice mm-hmm. and dissemble part of my uh, ray gun oh. to use as a uh, focusing device. And it needs to be carried to the top of the uh, parasphere to use so it can shoot it directly into the sky. Okay. You looking at your ray gun before you break it down and looking at the device, you don't think that you could safely shoot it into the sky. But if you want to give me an intellect enigmas or an intellect science roll as you're sitting up there and as they, as the other three are giving me a might athletics roll to climb the ladder. Right. But do, do we want somebody to stay on the ground in case some some bad guys come in? Uh, that's two successes. This is a good point. I'll go back down. <laughs> I'll stay down. No, no, I have the gun. I can, I can stay on the ground. I don't have a problem with that. <laughs> I've climbed so, I've climbed so many things. I've climbed so many things today. Florence and Ellie are standing on the catwalk, talking about who should stay on the catwalk. Nicholas is already a quarter of the way up the <laughs> yes. inside of the sphere. I assume. Yes, I, I have two successes. I'm not waiting for them to figure out. Who's going to stay back on the ground in the nice, comfortable gravity space here? I'm 
Ladies, it looks like the, the gentlemen have decided to take it upon themselves to climb up into the rafters and leave you down here as door guards. I was just going to slap my pistol in <laughs> Florence's hand and climb up. You figure you could probably get up there maybe in time, uh, but you do, as you're about to slap your pistol into Florence's hand, you hear a sound of commotion from one of the doors of the Parisphere, and you see two men run in uh, holding black cases that they are quickly trying to open. Who are you? The sound echoes up through the sphere. Nicholas, you look down as you're hanging now completely from these, and you look down and you see two men drop what look like violin cases onto the ground and lift up. Well, you are all too familiar with your friend Thompson. You are, well, let's just say you had formulated the first part of the plan, which is to try to run towards them to either attack or distract, right? Yes. Ellie turns on foot and launches herself towards these guys and begins running towards them in a serpentine sort of pattern so that if they do unload one of those Thompsons, she's not going to get lit up. Florence, you are, I assuming, looking for cover? Why would I do that? This is a time of action. I guess if they're going to shoot us, no, I, I will, I'll get cover if they're pulling out guns. Okay. Well, you have that fight or flight, so you pretty much, your brain goes, either I'm going to attack them or I'm going to leave and figure out a way well, to not get killed. Well, my immediate thought is attack them. So I guess Florence and I, Florence is a lady of action. All right. So you, <laughs> you, I won't even make you roll for it. You slip off, a, you slip off a heel and launch yourself directly parallel to L, Ellie and begin running towards them ready to hurt someone real bad. The suddenness with which you two launch at them seems to surprise both of these guys as if they had not expect two ladies of the time to defend themselves and it has given you a moment of reprieve before they pull triggers so as you launch towards them Nicholas you are just reaching the professor when professor you finish the calculations in your head that those two successes hath wrought and you realize that you cannot project the energy out safely not out. Oh, it's got to be projected in? It would have to be projected inward. All right. And you're going to need at least another set of hands to make sure it happens on this device. Nicholas, you climb up into the... Yep, you climb up into the rafters at that moment. As Professor goes, oh, all right. Professor, what's the story here? We need to uh, refocus this energy inward. We need to bring it all inside. English. Well, here. Hang on to this. The Professor cracks the case of this thing open that he'd been tinkering with and you see a a sparkling wonderland of wires and tubes and gears and vacuum tubes and things lighting up and turning it is not science that you understand okay uh, how, do, how do we do that and it is humming so it looks like in just seconds it's about to discharge professor quickly rearranges a few devices plugs one thing into another and it looks like he, what he's doing is reversing the flow of the energy now and you with your couple dots in science are acquainted well enough to now understand the concept of what he's doing this will no longer explode it will now implode and you look up at the professor with now a full knowledge of what this is probably going to ra- a rot for you so this is it huh this is it do you push the button um, how far up is it? You guys are about a ha uh, two, roughly about two hundred feet at the in the air right now. Okay, yeah, I'm gonna press a button. I was gonna push you off, but I guess you're probably not gonna survive that. No, 
he would hit the display model at the ground and with the number <laughs> of churches that are built on that display model, he would die horribly. Yeah. I press a button. The gentlemen with the guns freeze that are standing in the doorway. Uh, ladies, they freeze, but not in panic. They literally energy crackles through the sphere around you and they freeze as if caught in glass. And then they're suddenly animated with twice the motion and they seem to be screaming and writhing and aging all at once. The doors to the perisphere looks like they are sucked closed. Wham! As everything begins to hum, this perisphere begins to vibrate and shake and the energy crackles. This blue-white energy is crackling all, all around you with spider-like veins. You look up and see the, the two gentlemen up in the rafters are now kind of either looking at you or looking at this device as there is a sound like thunder in reverse. Well, how do I feel? Like, am I in pain too? <laughs> you feel odd. You feel um, electrified. All of the hairs on, the bod- on your body are standing on end, crackling with this blue static, blue-white static light. All of you, where you're in contact with the metal when you lift your hand away from it, little painful arcs jump from that to your to your limbs. And you feel uh, the nausea of being in zero gravity, but you're not in zero gravity. You still have gravity. Then it stops and everything becomes inert again. For a moment or two, nothing changes. Gentlemen, are you... They look over at the professor. He shrugs. Are we dead? Possibly. Do you gentlemen climb down? Yeah. You slowly climb down. Ladies, you're on the catwalk, having grabbed onto the rails and clung on for dear life while everything was shaking. You stop and reorient yourselves, dust yourselves off. The gentlemen join you after a moment or two. You're still reeling from the horror of seeing two men look like disintegrate right in front of you. What, what was that? What, what happened to those guys? What did you do, Professor? Uh, I'm assuming they uh, caught the full brunt of uh, whatever energy uh, spike came out of the Transformer. I'm not exactly certain why we didn't. So what are you guys doing? I'm going to go pick up one of those Thompsons. <clears throat> I, I think that it's probably best to leave. Okay. So you go over <laughs> to the door? Yeah. You pick up one of the Thompsons, Ellie? Oh, yeah. That's coming with, because you never know what we might, you know, sure. engage with on the way out. All right. You go over to the door and open the door. It's daylight. Not quite as bright as it was before. It's definitely not as warm. There's a haze, a brown haze in the sky that you've not noticed before. Did there, was there something burning? But what detracts your eyes from that is the sky itself. The skyline is two or three times larger than it was before, much taller. There are airplanes flying back and forth through the sky. And then in the more immediate area, you see surrounding this door, several hundred people in what you can only describe as some sort of policeman's uniform leveling weapons at you. Some of them are wearing body armor. Some of them are wearing white, what look like plastic suits with face shields, and they're holding very technical, small-looking equipment. As you step out onto the veranda here, one of them holds up a bullhorn. This is Agent Smithson, New York City Police Department. Please drop all of your weapons and proceed forward. The cars they're standing behind are slick and smooth, small with much less style. 
They don't even look like they're made of metal. I guess I, I drop my knife. You, the sound of a knife clinking to the cement jars the rest of you. You also drop your weapons, I assume. Yeah. Yep. I, I lower the Thompson to the ground, so dropping it might set it off. So I, <laughs> and I put my hands up. A gentleman in a business suit coat, nice pair of pants, approaches you with hands up, hands cautiously up. He's wearing a badge around his neck on a lanyard. And he approaches you, stops, lifts his coat and spins around once just so you can see he's not armed. And he approaches the bottom of the walkway up. Hi, I'm uh, Lieutenant Johansson, and I've been designated your liaison. Liaison? Uh, yeah, there's some, there's some things you probably should know. He fishes into his suit pocket, and he pulls out a, or a glass rectangle with a black back on it. He kind of, he looks like he squeezes it a little bit, and the square light, and the rectangle lights up with its own light. He kind of rubs his thumb across it once or twice. And then he, he taps it, traps this little glowing rectangle twice and brings up a picture. It looks like a, a headline. This was 83 years ago. Give or take a few days. He holds the picture up to all of you. And on this little glowing rectangle, there is a look a newspaper headline from the New York The Times. We'll call it The Times. Real news, this would be The Times. On The Times, it says... Um, Massive disappearance at World's Fair baffles world. New age of wonders ushered in by President Roosevelt. You've been gone for a long time, folks. And, uh, well, things are a little different now. Maybe you should come with me and we'll talk about it. Fascinating. All right, ladies and gentlemen. I want to thank you for joining me for the first three episodes of our Trinity Continuum arc, which were based heavily on the adventure setting. Look for the adventure setting coming out from Onyx Path, Look to the Future, as it is slated to be released. It is a fantastic work. The next three episodes, the next arc, will take place in yet another Trinity Continuum work, which is known as Aberrant. And we will explain a little more of the setting next time we get together, folks, as there will be, in fact, a next time. I want to thank you all for your listening ears. As always, I would love to thank the Patreons, supporters, because without you, I couldn't still be continue to be amazing. We could not be amazing and bring it to your awesome ears. And I want to thank everyone else for listening. Thank my players. You are amazing. Good night. <laughs>